This morning, we will turn to our third message in a series of messages about the necessities of life, necessities that we have become more aware of during the last months, uh, in some cases while we've been isolated or unable to worship together gathered in this space. We've reprioritized, we've reevaluated our lives and what really matters. And the first two messages in the series were based on uh, a scripture that we find in Matthew 25, where Jesus talked about the importance of sharing some of those necessities. When he said, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And we learned that he was referring to, yes, the physical necessities that we need to sustain our bodies, but also he reminded us and reminds us today in scripture that he is the bread of life. And the Holy Spirit is like living water bubbling up from within us. And so what we've been trying to uh, focus and understand is that there is a spiritual component to every necessity. And today's is no different. What's different about today's necessity is that Jesus didn't mention it in that scripture about the things that people gave to others in need. I'm talking about the necessity of breath. As you can imagine, in Jesus' day, uh, they didn't have oxygen tanks where someone who was having a hard time breathing from a sickness could be put on oxygen. They may or may not have known about mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. I don't know. But typically, the air that we breathe is something that we just take for granted. It's so natural. I mean, I know when I was a kid, one of the things I used to love was going outside after my dad mowed the lawn and when I got bigger after I would mow the lawn because the air smelled so good and we would just breathe in a breath and breathe it out and we just took it for granted. But during this time when so many people are sick with diseases that affect their lungs, maybe we don't take that so much for granted anymore. So I'd like to begin today with a talking about um, the spiritual component of breath. And to do that, we'll begin in uh, Genesis chapter 2 with the verses that describe how God created man. And this is what it says. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And when we read those words, we think of a living being, a biological person that, whose body used food and water and breathed in oxygen and breathed out carbon dioxide. But there's another component that's made a little clearer to us if we read the very same verses from the message translation. And this is how the message tells the story. God formed man out of dirt from the ground and blew into the nostrils the breath of life. The man came alive, a living soul. Those words, a living soul, remind us that breath is more than what helps our lungs take in air and convert what's in the air, the oxygen, and get it to our bloodstream, and then we exhale carbon dioxide. What the scripture is telling us is God breathed his very life into us. Perhaps that's the way he endowed us with his holy attributes. We know that, that the scriptures say we were created in God's image. So today we are going to consider the spiritual aspects of the breath that we breathe. 
by taking a look at a well-known story from uh, the prophet Ezekiel's prophecy. We find in this story, first of all, let me set the stage. Ezekiel was a prophet during a terrible time for the nation of Israel. In fact, it had been reduced to the point where it really wasn't a nation at all. The people repeatedly had rebelled against God. The nation that was one nation at a time had split into a northern and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had been completely conquered and the people scattered to the four winds, taken away by their captors, their conquerors, and some people from the foreign lands were then placed into the land that they had vacated, and it was a terrible time. But Judah and the city of Jerusalem held out for a time until they too were conquered, and word got to Israel, the people in exile everywhere, known as the Diaspora. Word came to them that the uh, temple had been conquered and destroyed, and they were left without hope. They were left no longer a nation, but a people whose spirits were crushed. And that was the time where Ezekiel was a prophet. And God spoke to Ezekiel and had him share with his dispersed people several prophecies, some of which explained why they had come to this state. But the scripture I'm going to share with you this morning is called uh, the Valley of Dry Bones. And in this particular scripture, God gave a people who had come to the end of the road hope for the future. So now I will read to you from Ezekiel chapter 37, selected texts. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophecy to the breath, prophecy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. But then a little later, in verse 14, this is what God promises in the midst of disaster when he says, 
I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. The text that I just read to you about dry bones really wasn't to an individual. It wasn't focused on what we think of today as our individual resurrection that we share because Christ went to the cross for us, died our death so that we could share in his resurrection. This text was really speaking to a nation that had lost its spirit. Its spirit had been crushed from it as punishment for terrible sins against God. But the text has lessons for us today, yes, as a nation, as a church, and as individuals. So where do we find dry bones today? If we look around, we know that our nation is hurting. Today, many Americans, our country as a whole, are angry with one another. Many people are afraid from the threat of a deadly virus, particularly those who have health conditions or some form of lung disease or compromised immune systems. We know that people are facing loss of their jobs and economic ruin. Businesses are closing. Life is difficult, and in the middle of that, we're also having serious, difficult conversations about racism in America that were triggered by a, a phrase that had to do with breath. We know that the political divisions in our nation run deep, and at times it feels like we've lost the America of old. We feel like, you know, the scene from the old Western movie out in the desert when you see the skeleton, the head of a, a bull, and it's just dry bones of a skeleton. And sometimes it feels like that's where we are as a nation that we love. And there are times in the last few decades when it has felt like some churches have become places of dry bones. I mean, we now operate our campus at Druid. We operate open arms there because a church that was there had closed. The congregation had dwindled. We know that people have been leaving the mainline churches for decades now, long before COVID-19 came. People aren't finding church relevant. They're turned off by some of the judgmentalism they believe they see in the church. And young people aren't attracted to an organization that seems steeped in old institutions rather than serving neighbors. And so in some places, churches have become places of dry bones. Not all, but some. And then, of course, there are us, those of us as individuals who are struggling through this season of the last four months. Some of us are sick. Some of us have lost loved ones. Some of us are afraid to venture out, and we feel criticized and ridiculed by those who feel that it's safe to go out. Finances are a struggle. Our neighbors routinely reject God. We have too much time alone if we're isolated by ourselves. And if we're isolated, even with the people we love, our family, sometimes we feel cooped up, like what I wouldn't give for five minutes alone. 
No matter what our circumstances, there are moments when we feel despair. And so I'd like us to look at this text today in light of all three of these ways that bones can be dry, as a nation, as a church, and as individuals. You know, God promises, he promised then and he continues to promise today to breathe life, to breathe spirit, his Holy Spirit, into dry bones. But for that to happen for us, we need to take on a humble posture like that that we heard from Ezekiel. When God asked Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel replied, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Ezekiel was acknowledging that in the midst of hopelessness, God can still do anything God chooses to do. It wasn't the words, those weren't words of a man who thought he could solve all of his own problems or that people could pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Instead, he turned to God and said, you alone know, Lord. We need a little bit of that today. 2020 has been teaching us some really hard lessons, including the lesson that we can't take breathing for granted. All this turmoil related to our ability to breathe, to lung disease, to people being arrested saying the words, I can't breathe, and then dying. All these cries about breath may be happening because God wants us to remember that he is sovereign and his breath will be in us if we just breathe it in. Breathe in his spirit and breathe out that goodness when we communicate and interact with one another. You know, it was the issue of breath that created the rise again in our um, acknowledgement that racism still exists in America. Just yesterday, I saw so many posts on Facebook of people mourning the loss of the great Congressman John Lewis who was uh, a wonderful icon in the fight for civil rights. And it's my prayer today that other people will step in and take his place and continue to work to level the playing field so that uh, we share in God's abundance in a more equal way. We also know that COVID-19 is a disease that directly ref uh, affects our ability to breathe. But I'm going to expand that a little bit because I know there's lots of people out there who believe, truly believe, and I respect their right to believe it, that some of these COVID cases really aren't COVID, they're really pneumonia, or they're really influenza, or they're really other upper respiratory things. The fact is, it doesn't matter. When you're sick and you can't breathe, it's a scary thing. It's created lots of controversy because People disagree about what different politicians and different professionals from the healthcare industry and different leaders say. There are a wide variety of opinions. We argue about the utility of wearing masks. Does it really do any good? Should schools be opened or closed? Should churches be opened or closed? Should businesses be open or closed? And surrounding this whole issue of people's ability to breathe is a bitter battle 
between people of the same nation and of the same faith, our Christian faith. I have seen terrible communications from both sides of the debates that take place of one Christian against another. But you know, maybe we could set aside the differences and look at this in a new way. We know that Jesus cared for the most vulnerable. He touched the leper and healed his disease. He cast demons out from those who were possessed. He ate with sinners. He attracted the poor, the vulnerable, and the unloved. And I have to think that today, if Jesus would he, was here, he would do, if he was here in person, he would do things that might protect the vulnerable. So here's the questions I have to ask. If you believe, for example, that wearing a mask is a useless exercise that doesn't protect anyone, and that it inconveniences you with no benefit, then if you wear a mask and you are correct, then you're inconvenienced. If you're wrong, however, and the masks really do protect people from spreading this virus, and you wear a mask, you are inconvenienced in the act of protecting the vulnerable. Isn't it worth being inconvenienced on the chance that maybe, just maybe, the life you save could be grandma or grandpa? It seems worth it to me. You know, it's a generous and loving thing to be willing to be inconvenienced or put out for others. I know for a fact that many of you are worried about what's taking place now. A week or so ago, we took a survey here at St. Paul asking you how you were feeling about returning to live worship. And at the time we took that survey, only 17% of the couple hundred people who responded said that they were ready to come back to church in July. There's a real fear of getting sick. We know that even few of you, fewer of you right now, feel comfortable with the idea of volunteering, and that's okay. I'm not bringing this up to make you feel guilty about church or volunteering. I just want to share the news with you that many of us are not certain. Over half the people responded, said they weren't sure when they would feel safe to return to church. So in the interim, I want to encourage you, continue to worship online. Continue to connect with one another by phone, by meeting together in outside spaces. Several of our small groups are doing that. Don't give up, but be patient. Be kind. Let's not let our talk be about our rights, but let's allow our talk to be about loving our vulnerable neighbor. It's not okay to ridicule people who are afraid. And it's not okay to say it's the vulnerable's problem, let them stay home. We are our brothers and our sisters keepers. And if the church can demonstrate that in a unanimous way during this time, then indeed, our neighbors out there who don't know Jesus may very well say, yeah, we know they're Christians by their love.
You know, the Apostle Paul spoke to this question in Romans when he talked about um, how we should see ourselves in the hierarchy of society. This is what he said. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He also talked about not putting stumbling blocks in front of a brother or sister. In that context, he was talking about the arguments that were happening between Gentiles and Jewish Christians about what was okay to eat. The Jewish Christians were saying, the people who of Jewish faith who became Christians were saying, those Gentiles need to live within the dietary laws that we've all always observed. And the Gentiles were poking fun at the Jewish Christians for being such picky eaters. And Paul finally said, stop it. Stop this bickering. If you believe it's okay to eat anything, then eat it, but don't put a stumbling block in front of your brother or sister who doesn't believe that. And so today, I hope that we can be people who respect the fears of others, who will patiently wait for the time when we can gather again. Let us be people who won't put stumbling blocks in, in front of one another. Are we so stuck on our positions that we're sure without a doubt that we're right about everything? I'm not sure. Someday I know, like you, I will stand before God and find out that some of the things I believed, maybe even some of the things I preached, were not what God wanted. And I trust in those moments that God will offer me yet again tender mercies because I preach what I preach with a clear heart. Are we so stuck on what we believe that we're willing to turn away from our vulnerable neighbor? Or will we watch out for the weak? Will we allow ourselves to be inconvenienced for a time in the hope that it might offer, through our actions, the breath of life, the physical breath that allows a person to take in oxygen and to exhale carbon dioxide? but also by our example to cause people to turn their eyes toward heaven and say, God, please, forgive my sins. Send your spirit upon me. I love you, Jesus. We can do that for our country, for our community, for our church, and for one another at a time when there are an awful lot of dry bones. If Jesus got down on his knees to wash the dirty feet of men who were far less than him. Can't we take a lowly and humble position and do what might be best for brothers and sisters? To offer the Holy Spirit by our example and to offer the breath of life. Let's do that.